out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Welcome to Rage Worth Watching, where in this season we're exploring the rage-filled films of the last few decades to see what's still worth watching for a modern audience. Today we're talking about the classic 1980 film, Nine to Five, that literally rages against the man. I'm your host, and I'm not going to explain anything about that garage door opener in my bedroom. My co-host is Guy, who has hardly ever been convicted for sweetening the office coffee with rat poison. Hardly ever. Hello, Guy. Hello, Ron. And our guest today is Rebecca Christensen, author extraordinaire. Hello, Rebecca. Hi. Hello. So you're an author, is my understanding. Can, and, and now we're like Twitter buddies, right? So, you know, I've, yeah. I've kind of been picking up on, on what you do. And uh, But what, what kind of stuff do you author about? So I my debut young adult novel was published in 2017. And then uh, while I'm kind of getting the ball rolling on another traditionally published project i have been doing some online writing in the kind of culture and politics sphere and then i also published some fiction on wattpad where i'm a wattpad star which is like their, their so tell me about, i saw something about that but i'm not familiar with it so what is that yeah it's a it's it's a really interesting self-publishing platform that has kind of really taken off in the past 10 years and become kind of a force like they have movies produced of some of the work on there they have their own publishing arm now so I'm part of the program to kind of develop some of the writers on their platform. So it's a really, really interactive platform. So it's almost like YouTube, but for stories. So does that mean like people are passing around stuff for feedback and such? And you say you're helping develop people? Yeah. So I'm in a program where they sometimes give me some work to do, like with brands and stuff. Like I've written, yeah. published, I've written and published chapters of my stories on Wattpad that have brand tie-ins. So yeah. like. The Amazon show Panic is one of them. So I have, I wrote a chapter where like my characters are in the show. It's, so it's that kind of work. It's actually really fun. And then the platform is really unique because it's very much about interaction. So they have a line by line commenting system where hey. readers can comment as they read. And so like my phone is just blowing up all day with people like line by line commenting on my work. It's it's so much fun. It's actually a great Okay, but now I think of that platform. as torture. I mean so how much are you like, screw you, I'm keeping that line as it is. <laughs> it's actually and then another weird thing about it is that the culture of Wattpad is so positive. So yeah. I've only had so I have over three hundred thousand reads across my three stories. Wow. And I've only ever gotten a few negative comments. Wow, and that's amazing. Yeah, so it's people who get really, really immersed in story and have a really fun time with it. So the comments are all just like, it's basically like reaction gifts in comment form. It's really, it's actually really fun to see how people engage with it. Okay, great. So, you know, I sent you a list of the films we were covering and you, and you chose this one, but I think you said you'd never seen it. So what made you uh, choose this one? I looked up all of the kind of plot summaries of the ones that you gave me, and that one just sounded like the most fun. Like <laughs> some of the others were a little were really interesting, and I do want to see them. But this one just sounded like like that cast. Oh my god! Like Dolly Parton, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin. Like you can't get any better than that. So I thought it would mm. be a really fun launch, and it was. Oh, good. <laughs> I agree. 
Uh, but we will we will talk about that as we go along. Okay. What's your familiarity with the movie guy? Have you seen it before? I believe I saw it in the theater when I was probably ten years old. I know that I've I've known it most of my life. Uh, so it was fun to go back and see it. I actually have watched it probably probably in the last decade or so, but it's still been a little while. So it was good to get you know see it again. Uh, remember a few things that I had forgotten about and. Right. Yeah, it's, I've always liked the movie, though. It was good. Yeah, and I'd seen it a long time ago, but not anything recently. I was I looked up some things. So to give some context for this movie, I think it's really important to understand this was done in 1980. In 1974, so just six years before the movie, banks could deny single women credit cards, and they required married women to have their husband co-sign. And their salaries in terms of determining their credit limit were often reduced by 50%. So I guess that means that women were just going to go and buy hats and stuff or something. And so they wanted to reduce their salary. Jeez. (laughs) And then in 1977, so just three years before this movie was the first time a court in the United States recognized sexual harassment as a legitimate legal action. Wow. And, And I think, I mean, you know, 1980 was a while ago, but I think we just, and, and I know it's, it's shocking. I think when we think now how recently these basic rights for women were not available. And that's the context that this movie was coming out in. It's kind of amazing as Jane Fonda conceived of the movie and she produced it. And it's sort of funny also because she plays this very innocent character in this, but I don't know if you're familiar, Rebecca, she had done like Barbarella where she was this very sexy science fiction, you know, star with breasts and all this. So it's really funny to see her in this office comedy as the naive woman. (laughs) And uh, she had just seen Lily Tomlin's one woman show in person called The Search for signs of intelligent life in the universe. And she realized she wanted her in the movie. And I have to say, I had the fortune decades ago in San Francisco of seeing that show actually several times. So the first time I saw it, it was practically life-changing. It's one of the best live performances of anything that I've ever seen. And and I still remember it. And they eventually Hmm. did a kind of movie of it. And I mean, it's worth watching to get a sense of it, but it's nothing at all like seeing it in person. It was amazing because Lily Tomlin would play dozens of characters. She was the only person on stage. She would play dozens of characters, and it was just incredible. So, you know, I have a strong connection to that. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then (laughs) after seeing the show, Jane Fonda said she was driving home, and she heard Dolly Parton singing a song on the radio, and she was like, these are the three people we need, right? So, hmm. uh, so she totally put this whole thing together. So now is when Guy and I retreat to the company lunchroom and open a box of stale donuts and watch the movie on the crappy projector that they use for the sexual harassment training films. And then we'll come back to discuss it with you, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, guys, so now it's just you and me. (laughs) And uh, as always, if people aren't interested in listening to us talk through the movie, we have bookmarks and they can skip ahead and listen to the rest of our discussion with Rebecca. But hopefully one or two people will will stick around for this part. Mm -hmm. So we start the film with the amazing theme song. And I really feel like uh, the impact on the opening, because they started right out with that, and then there's a whole montage of people, you know, waking up and going to work to the music. 
And it reminds me of how the Ghostbusters theme propelled that movie, right? It just mm-hmm. is really tied in. Although they don't, they don't really repeat this throughout the movie. They do kind of reference it in, you know, in the soundtrack, but they don't have it played several times the way the Ghostbusters theme was. Yeah. And, uh, all these people we see getting up and going to work, we sort of end up focusing in on Jane Fonda. Now they have these character names, but you know, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Dolly Parton are so, um, I can't separate them. <laughs> so, so it's hard for me to remember the character names. I just refer to yeah. the actors. So Jane Fonda is the new girl and she is trying to find the office building, you know, clearly trying to get to work on time for her first day. She's dressed in this bright blue outfit uh, with an old-fashioned hat, and she really stands out from everyone else. And I, I think the idea here is that, as we'll discover, um, uh, she is newly divorced, and this is probably the first real job she's had to have. Mm-hmm. And I think that her idea of how to dress for the office is just, you know, they intentionally chose some things that didn't quite fit <laughs> your typical mm-hmm. office, right? Yeah. Yeah, it looks like an Easter hat. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, Easter egg is the way the butt put her whole costume. That's <laughs> yeah, good. And so now we see Lily Tomlin complaining to a manager that she's getting stuck with the new girl. And we get a little exposition about how well she's divorced and she needs help. And Tomlin's like, well, I'm a widow and I've got four kids. And, you know, it would have been easier if I could have just divorced him and all that. So we, we're just getting this little data dump here. Hmm. And then Fonda shows up and Lily Tomlin... Uh, they get in the elevator and Lily Tomlin's telling her, you know, who's on which floor. And she says that above their floor is the president and the chairman of the board. And she's been here for 12 years and she's never seen the chairman, which uh, might just mean that he's Chekhov's chairman. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have something really odd. And I, I, I assume this is just for the script. It's hard to imagine it actually happening. Fonda asked Tomlin about her salary in a way that makes it sound like she doesn't know what her salary is. Mm-hmm. And if so, she accepted a job without knowing the salary, which is just incomprehensible to me. Well, I'll tell you what, my first job, uh, when I became a programmer for the real estate company, that's the very thing I did. The, the manager <laughs> of the department called me up and, you know, talked to me on the phone and, uh, I was very curious about the salary, but at the moment <laughs> I was on the phone, I didn't even think to ask about it. It was just like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I hope it worked out. I hope you dressed a little more uh, in line. <laughs> of course, as a programmer, nobody really cares. <laughs> yeah. Well, at this at this place, it was still uh, sort of not quite IBM rules, but, uh, you know, ah, close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... Lily Tomlin is also wearing, you know, all three of our main actresses wear very different outfits than everybody else, right? Everybody else is kind of wearing drone workwear, right? But I think our three Mm. actresses are really supposed to stand out. And Tomlin is wearing this really classy, like, thing that that looks like it was inspired by a Japanese kimono. It's not a kimono, but, you know, it's definitely, like, Japanese characters on it and, you know, very light, silky kind of look. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and just clearly tells you, okay, this is an intelligent sort of classy person. Yeah. And as they're walking through the office and Tomlin's telling Fonda about stuff, we meet Roz <laughs> who, uh, you know, she's very gray, like her hair is gray and her clothes are all gray and she's, you know, has a lot of energy and she, 
mm-hmm. you know, immediately comes up to Tomlin and she's very concerned that the office rules about putting personal items on desks aren't being followed, you know, and she's typed it all up for her to put on the bulletin board. You know, you're not supposed to have a coffee cup on your desk. You're not supposed to have a personal picture on your desk. Yeah. <laughs> again, something that will pop up again later. <laughs> yeah. And Tomlin tells Fonda that, you know, she's, um, the office snitch and she should, she be very careful. Oh, also Roz ends, Roz ends this discussion with, we all know, right? An office that looks efficient is efficient. (laughs) (laughs) And, and here we get one, you know, and there's so many, well, okay. So here, this is kind of a funny one that they are laying the groundwork for, you know, foreshadowing Tomlin tells Fonda, if you want to gossip in the ladies room, check under the stalls first for Roz's shoes. (laughs) So it's a (laughs) Chekhov's bathroom stall. And. I almost have to say here, I, I'll, I'll stop using the Chekhov reference because literally everything in the first <laughs> half of this movie or first quarter, every single detail comes back. I mean, oh, there's yeah. nothing that doesn't end up mattering, which when you're taking notes to talk about it, you know, normally we want to kind of leave out things and move along and, you know, not, not talk about every little thing, but every little thing comes back. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And uh, their boss, who's Dabney Coleman, he's Mr. Hart. In his case, I love Dabney Coleman, but it's easier for me to call him Mr. Hart. So <laughs> <laughs> He has just been promoted to VP, and Tomlin is the one who trained him, and we find that she's waiting for her promotion, and she's quite frustrated. You know, she's been here 12 years, and everyone she trains ends up getting into management. One of, one of my favorite jokes, I'm not, it, it happens somewhere in here in the, uh, in the tour of the office, Lily Tomlin goes up to Hart's door and it says Franklin Hart <laughs> and um she holds up a manila folder covering up most of the name so it she says but to me he'll always be F Hart <laughs> <laughs> Yep <laughs> And I wondered because she had to the paper in her hand had to be exactly the right width uh, to make that work so I wondered how much effort they put into that to do it So Tomlin and Fonda go into Hart's office and, and Hart gives Fonda his inspiring new employee speech about teamwork. <laughs> you know, he can't, uh, he can never get past a sentence or two without saying something abhorrent. So he's like, you girls, of course, never got a chance to play football or baseball. And I, I've always felt like that's unfortunate because I think it's, it's probably the best place to learn what teamwork is all about. <laughs> That's really unfortunate. <laughs> and then, um, while he's talking, he sits in his chair and it kind of half falls backward. And again, yeah. this will come back many times. <laughs> <laughs> and then he tells Fonda that she's pretty, unlike the crones who've been coming through here recently. And he asked Tomlin for confirmation and she just kind of frowns at him. <laughs> and then he asked Tomlin to buy a scarf for his wife and to get him coffee with skinny and sweet. And so all this is going to come into play. Yeah. As they walk out, they meet Dolly Parton, who is Hart's assistant. And it's a really funny bit here. I don't know if they would do this today, but I think it's good. When Jane Fonda meets Dolly Parton, she can't stop staring at her chest. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, Dolly Parton is famously very well endowed. Oh, and yeah. then when Fonda's walking away from Dolly Parton, she puts her hand to her own chest and clearly feels inadequate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's Fonda's first day, so we get a little montage. You know, she can't type. She can't figure out how to use the phone. <laughs> the, the business card holder falls apart. All that sort of thing. 
And uh, then it's lunchtime, and in the lunchroom, everyone's making fun of Dolly Parton, who's stuck eating alone. And they make it clear they all believe she's sleeping with the boss. Considering Hart's personality, that would uh, make her you know, sort of guilty by association. <laughs> yeah. And then we see Hart setting up his desk. He's, he's aligning all the stuff on his desk so that he can accidentally knock a pencil box off of it. <laughs> and then he calls in Dolly Parton to take a memo. And when she comes in, he tells her to turn around so he can take a look at her. She thinks maybe she has something on her dress or something. He's like, no, I just want to take a look at you. <laughs> and this will come back. And then while dictating the memo, he knocks the pencil box off the table and she goes to pick it up and he stands up so he can look down her dress. <laughs> and then he offers to help and gets down on the floor with her and grabs her hand and apologizes for something that happened yesterday, where as near as we can tell, apparently he sort of chased her around the office. And mm -hmm. she's like, oh, that's okay. I've gotten away from faster men than you. <laughs> so she's being very forgiving. He then gives her the scarf that Tomlin bought for his wife. And he tells her he's crazy about her. And she says, I've told you before, I'm a married woman. And he says, and I'm a married man. That's what makes it so perfect. <laughs> And he's basically attacking her, you know, trying to kiss her when his wife walks into the office. And, you know, his wife is this really clearly sweet, authentic person, but also very naive. So she's yeah. just like, what are you doing on the floor? And he's like, oh, I hit my knee and fell over. And, and then, you know, Dolly Parton tells her, oh, this is a scarf that your husband gave me. And she, she isn't suspicious or, you know, phased by that at all, uh, <laughs> why he's giving his secretary a scarf. So Dolly uh, takes the opportunity to leave, and uh, the wife has brochures for a four-week vacation that, in, in Italy that Hart had promised to go on. But when she tells him it's four weeks, he just goes crazy. Are you out of your mind? Do you think I'm going to spend four weeks of my life drifting around on that Dago boat? <laughs> so he's, once again, has to find a way to be offensive. <laughs> Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda see Dolly coming out of Hart's office holding that scarf that they, you know, that Tomlin had gotten for her wife. And so they assume she got it for services rendered <laughs> when yeah. she was in there. And now we uh, get uh, a very famous scene from the movie. Tomlin takes Fonda to the Xerox room and gives her a task to copy some documents. Now, this isn't a Xerox machine like we would typically have today where, you know, you just have a little stand-up machine. This is a, you know, a mm. whole system, right, for a corporate office. Oh, yeah. It is a big wing coming off it where it can, you know, put hundreds of copies in the slots and you collate them and the whole nine yards. Right. So um, Tomlin leaves while Fonda's working on it. And then, you know, something starts to go wrong and too many pages are coming out and Fonda starts pressing buttons kind of randomly. And then, you know, suddenly pages are literally shooting out of the machine and they're loading in different places and they're going all over the floor. And then she knocks over the trash can while she's trying to deal with this. And, you know, it's a, actually, I was thinking it's very much a uh, Charlie Chaplin scene, right? Mm. It's, it's, <laughs> you could easily see him doing that. He did very similar scenes. Mm -hmm. And of course, in the middle of all the chaos, um, with, and, and also, uh, one of the things I forget if we talked about this when we talked with Rebecca, but, um, they showed this movie to secretaries and they would just go crazy, uh, at this scene. <laughs> they really <laughs> enjoyed it. <laughs> and, uh, in the middle of all this heart comes in and yells at her and says any moron could run this machine and he threatens to fire her on her first day if necessary so she's very stressed out and next we see her you know walking up to her new apartment from her 
after her divorce and after her first day of work. And it turns out her ex is at the door with some paperwork. And, you know, he doesn't seem to be a totally bad guy and they still seem to have some chemistry, but he's really there just to give her this paperwork to sign and give to her lawyer. And his girlfriend is in the car, so it's not like he's going to stick around and talk to her or anything. And, you know, the girlfriend is why he left her. And then when she says she's a secretary now, he's, you know, he's clearly not impressed. It's sort of, oh, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) And next thing we know, it's her second day at work. And it's kind of funny because while clocking in, she says, I feel like I was here just a minute ago. (laughs) And as she's getting set up, you know, they have this locker room in the kitchen. And (laughs) there's a woman, Margaret, who we saw earlier, we we didn't mention. And she's uh, starting out her day by swigging some, you know, who knows what from a flask. (laughs) And, uh, she looks at Fonda and says, medicinal purposes. (laughs) And then Dolly Parton runs into Fonda and invites her to lunch. And especially for being the new person, Fonda is just really rude. You know, she brushes her off, basically says she's never going to have time for lunch. She needs to be learning the office clearly just, you know, and then, then we see immediately that night at home that Dolly is, she's talking to her husband. And she's confused that, you know, she tries to be really nice to everyone and they all treat her badly and won't talk to her and she doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, she hasn't yet realized that everybody thinks she's sleeping with her. Yep. And then back at the office, um, and one of the things I'll say here is that they do the pacing really well. Like, it's not not like they feel like they have to show you a full day at work and then into this and then another full day at work. They'll just kind of end the day whenever they want, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm move to the next scene or move to the next day. So back at the office, once again, Hart tells Tomlin to get him coffee, which just, you know, always drives her crazy because she's like this senior manager waiting for a promotion, shouldn't be getting her boss coffee. And uh, he, you know, he wants it with the skinny and sweet. So we see her using that and skinny and sweet comes in this very yellow box. (laughs) Yeah, it's about the size of a small cereal box. Yeah. And we see now that Jane Fonda is handling the copy machine like a pro, so she's learning quickly. And then at lunch, she's hanging out with the other girls who, you know, won't let Dolly sit at their table. <laughs> so she's sort of joining the clique already. Tomlin gives Hart the coffee, and then she wants to know if he's reviewed her report from last month on how color coding the accounts would save them a bunch of money. It seems like he doesn't remember it. He tells her it needs work and he'll have to get back to her on it. <laughs> and then sometimes we don't really know how much time has passed, but literally the next scene... Tomlin is at the elevator with Roz and Hart and his boss come up and his boss is raving about this report that Hart gave him about color coding and how they're going to change it to that now. And Hart is brilliant. (laughs) And of course, uh, (laughs) Tomlin's pretty pissed off about, about this. And the boss tells Hart, you know, you know, he's such a brilliant guy. He can just run this floor however he wants. It's all his (laughs) (laughs) things just getting worse. And then again, we switched to home at Tomlin's home and she's wrestling with the garage door opener. And yes, that will become relevant later. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's complaining about heart to her son and her son responds by promising to roll her a joint. One of the things we see here, both with what she's wearing, cause now she's wearing very plain kind of chores clothes, right? Not, not something fancy, um, like the kimono like thing we saw before. And also she's very practical working on the garage door opener. So, you know, there's mm-hmm. very much the, yeah, she's the divorce or not in this case, she's the widowed mom who has to make everything work. Yeah. When her son offers her the joint at first, she doesn't sound too enthusiastic, but finally she says, uh, to put it in her purse yep. and that'll, uh, that'll also <laughs> yep. factor in later. 
And now we see we're back in the office and Hart is telling her that he gave another manager, Bob, <laughs> the promotion she's been waiting for. And of course, not only did she train Hart, but she trained Bob. And he's like, well, Bob does have a college degree and a family to support. <laughs> you know, so she just flies off the handle. And then he tells her clients would rather deal with men when it comes to figures. Mm -hmm. And while they're arguing, he sits and the chair kind of falls again. And he calls in Dolly. And Tomlin is giving him this kind of, you know, I am woman, literally I am woman speech, right? <laughs> Hear me roar. Don't you ever refer to me as your girl again. What in God's name are you talking about? Dorlita, what are we going to do about this chair? I'll tell you what I'm talking about. I'm no girl. I'm a woman. Do you hear me? I'm not your wife or your mother or even your mistress. What? Mm -mm. I am your employee. And as such, I expect to be treated equally with a little dignity and a little respect. And she points to, to Dolly. And this is clearly news to Dolly. She has no idea people think mm. this. And she gets really upset. And she wants to know who said this. And Tomlin tells her, well, Hart has told everyone <laughs> that they're having an affair. And Tomlin then storms out to go get drunk. And now Dolly is super angry at Hart. And she chases him around the room while yelling at him. And eventually she pushes him into a chair and says she has a gun in her purse and she can turn him from a rooster to a hen in one shot. I'm also thinking on all this, boy, would things be different today? Because even, re well, regards to everything else, you just can't go threatening to shoot your boss. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> she then leaves and decides she needs to get a drink. So we have a little theme going on here that'll play into things. And Roz then comes in and tells Hart that she overheard a woman in the bathroom discussing salaries with someone else and speculating on Hart and Roz's salaries. And, and Hart, who's, you know, pretty upset about having just been threatened to be <laughs> turned into a rooster or actually turned into a hen, <laughs> um, <laughs> he says, fire the bitch. <laughs> and then, you know, we see a woman packing up her desk and she tells Jane Fonda, it's okay. She needed to spend more time with her kid anyway, and they wouldn't let her work part-time. And then uh, Fonda uh, leaves to find Tomlin at the bar because she wants to tell her what's happening, feels it's outrageous. And so, as it turns out, our three heroes are now together in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> and they're grousing what, about what to do, but they can't figure out what they can do because they all need their jobs. And, and uh, <laughs> Jane Fonda's like, well, what if we just all get together and complain? Now, if this were Twitter days, <laughs> they could do that, as we've seen recently, <laughs> but that's another story. While they're talking about what to do, Tomlin finds the joint from her son in her purse, and she's like, I know what to do. <laughs> Let's have an old-fashioned, you know, ladies' pot party. And Dolly's husband is out, so she invites him to her house so they can smoke it in private. And they're all, both um, uh, Dolly and Jane Fonda say that marijuana doesn't really do anything for them. <laughs> so, of course, the next shot at Dolly's house, and all three of them are very high-slash-stoned. You know, but I'm not quite sure how this works with one joint, and they're only a little bit of the way through it. You know, apparently very yeah. powerful stuff. Yeah, yeah. Although if they are, if they are being, uh, you know, if they're cons conserving materials, then, uh, you know, they can hold their breath for a while. That'll extend. <laughs> and also something I, I've heard, and I don't know if it's a general truism, but I know it's it said that at least some people, the first time they try pot, it doesn't have much of an effect on them. That doesn't apply to everybody, but there are some people who it doesn't really kick in until a later time when they try it. So. Right. Well, that, you know, I had you know, like once or twice when I was a teenager and that was the, my experience. Yeah. I, it didn't do anything 
for me um, and haven't, uh, haven't tried again. <laughs> now we get another famous scene here because they're, you know, again, they're all stoned and people have said they could have only pulled off these performances by actually being high because they do it so well. But, you know, the actors said, no, you, you've got to be joking. You can't act you know, <laughs> if you, if you were that high. So apparently it was just some kind of lettuce, you know, <laughs> Dolly is talking about threatening Hart with her gun and, and they ask her about the gun and she says she's only fired it once. And then I didn't, I don't think I noticed until this last watching where I was taking my notes. She literally describes exactly the scenario that kicks off Thelma and Louise, <laughs> which is, <laughs> uh, she says, oh, we were in this parking lot and these guys were hassling us and wouldn't leave us alone. And I, you know, pulled out my purse with the gun in it. And then she actually shoots through the, the purse and they run off. So she didn't, <laughs> didn't uh, at least uh, uh, kill anyone, but it's just <laughs> kind of funny that it's the same scenario. And they all start talking about what they'd like to do to heart. And it starts feeding into what's coming up and again, just another really famous, I think really great part of the movie is all three of them. We see their fantasy of what they would do. And they start with Jane Fonda and she has this image of, you know, the office workers and they're, they're holding, um, you know, shotguns and torches and they're being led mm -hmm. by, uh, tracking dogs and, and it's like nighttime and there's smoke in the office and they're, they're hunting heart, you know, and he's, he's hiding among the, uh, desks. And it's, it's interesting that each one of the fantasies has a different color scheme mm -hmm. like fonda uh, the color saturation is turned down to almost nothing so it's like mm -hmm. a black and white movie yeah and then dolly's is more sepia toned and then uh violets will be very uh or, or you know lily tomlins will be right. very very vivid right. and colorful. yeah yep and so hart you know he's hiding under the desk and, and crawling around in a humorous way and he finally escapes into his office and it turns out that Jane Fonda is in his chair and she swings around and she's wearing this safari outfit and holding a large rifle. She looks really good in it, actually. Oh, yeah. Hart says, he doesn't know why people are chasing him. I'm not a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> and she says something that gets said in every single one of the fantasies exactly. She says, you're a sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot. And then she counts to 10 because she's going to shoot him. And he runs from the office and she shoots out the window next to the door, which... We'll come back later. <laughs> and so then she leaves and she's shooting at him as he runs through the office. And the funny thing is, you know, he gets on the floor and he finds a trash can and he puts a trash can over his head. And then he's running back and forth and he basically turns into a carnival shooting game where she's trying to, you know, shoot the animal as he, he runs back and forth. There's a very similar scene to this in Scrooged with Bill Murray, which is one yeah, of my seen that one. very favorite movies, actually. Um, it, it comes more towards the end of that one, but it's it's similar. Bill Murray's chased through the office by one person with a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> now, he escapes into the bathroom and hides in a stall, which also is kind of a, you know, an echo of the whole thing about Roz hiding <laughs> in the stalls. <laughs> yeah. And she walks through and, you know, checks each stall and finds him and aims. <laughs> and we next see his head mounted on the wall where, um, one thing I didn't mention earlier is he had a deer mounted on his wall that he had pointed out to her and said that he had shot. So now he has become the deer and her fantasy is over. And then we go to Dolly's fantasy <laughs> and she's in the West on a horse, you know, riding up to the office and 
she goes into her office and calls in Hart, who in this case is a meek assistant. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I like this part because in a way it showed like his, that he has acting chops, right? That he's not just, because Dabney Coleman was typecast and often played basically the same role, right? Of a, a sort mm-hmm. of unpleasant jerk, you know, kind of bigoted jerk kind of guy. So this is his chance to do something different, you know, where he's the put upon <laughs> assistant. Yeah. And she tells him to get his buns into her office. And then she has him turn around so she can check out his bod. Well, you got a nice ass frame. But you know you ought to get your pants cut a little tighter. You need to bring them up just a little in the crotch. I mean, you got a nice package. You might as well show it off. Oh, Mrs. Rhodes. And she starts to uh, dictate a letter, but then she is impressed by his cologne, which he says is called Stud. (laughs) (laughs) And she has him take off his bow tie and unbutton his shirt to kind of relax a bit. And then she comes over and ties a scarf around his neck and pulls his head into her ample bosom. (laughs) And she wants to move to the couch and, you know, take the next steps. But he objects. And she pushes him down the way he basically had done to her earlier and tries to kiss him. He flees. And I I love this part because as he leaves, opens the door and leaves the office, we start hearing a hog-tying announcer. Ladies and gentlemen, he's out of the shoe. Look at him. That's a big bull hitter from the high glass tower. Now, Miss Dora Lee Rose. She's going to try to rope this. Mis- She's already got him done, ladies and gentlemen. Now, let's see how long it takes her to hog tie this sexist deacon digital lying hippocritical bigot. Five seconds, ladies and gentlemen. Just five seconds. Yeah. Yeah, it's really well done. It's really funny. Then he ends up, uh, she puts him on a spit and is baking him. So apparently she's going to eat him. So. <laughs> But this being the movie that it is, then it's not like gory. It's just sort of him looking terrified. (laughs) (laughs) Then we get to Lily Tomlin's fantasy, which I love. And, you know, like you said, it's a very bright because it's an animated fairy tale and she's dressed Mm -hmm. like Cinderella and these little animated birds and bunnies are following her around. One of the bunnies is uh, always knitting a little thing, which is kind of funny. And Hart, you know, is live action and she's live action and Hart tells her to make coffee. Now Hart is not acting like they're in a fantasy. He's just acting like himself. Right. Yeah. So she goes in to make the coffee, but she has this little, this actually big ring (laughs) that she opens up and puts some poison from her ring into the coffee. And she's very, uh, as she's making the coffee, she's, uh, doing all these princessy flourishes, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, uh, oh, and then when she puts the poison into the coffee, you see a little animated, uh, Skull and crossbones <laughs> rise out of the steam for a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like singing with the little birds. And, and she puts a, a spoon in and mixes the coffee. And when she pulls the spoon out, half of it has been disintegrated. So it's pretty serious poison. She brings the coffee to heart and he drinks it. And then steam comes from his ears. And the animals all laugh at him. And then his head starts spinning around. <laughs> and Hart says, I think there was something in that coffee. <laughs> she says, I think you're right. And then she wheels his chair around and and sort of ratchets it up. And it turns out kind of like a a barber chair or something, right? And, mm-hmm. and she ratchets it up. And it turns out to have kind of an ejection thing. So she ejects him <laughs> out the window to the street below. And then wrapping up these three fantasies, we see these three women in fancy medieval dresses clinking their wine cups together mm. <laughs> and below the, oh, and then there are office workers chained up in dungeons who have their chains fall <laughs> off and they're free. 
Yeah, and the three women are like on the balcony of this Disney castle type Yeah, place. and everyone below <laughs> is cheering them. <laughs> and the fantasy is over. Back in the office the next day, they come in together and they're all buzzing in happiness uh, from last night and want to see when they can get together again. But they've all got stuff they have to deal with so they can't get together today. Dolly mentions that Hart is happy because his wife is left for a two-month vacation to the South Seas on her own. So he's going to be getting up to mischief. And uh, one reason they can't get together for lunch is because Lily Tomlin has got to go to the store and buy a bunch of things. And this is interesting, especially considering right now we're in a situation where we're dealing with a bunch of supply chain issues and everything. Mm. She mentions the store is out of everything and she lists all these things, you know, including rat poison. And it, I assume, you know, I'm trying, I mean, I was, we were alive back then, but I, I don't remember necessarily the economic situation. I assume they were having some kind of economic, you know, recession slash supply chain issue at the time, because it really mm -hmm. does seem to be a reference to that. I don't know if you remember 1980. Yeah, I don't remember. I, I remember in the late seventies, you had the, uh, the gas lines. Right. I do that remember stuff. that. Yeah. So it might, you know, probably tied into that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember, like, uh, I mean, you know, yeah, our young, younger listeners wouldn't remember this. I mean, it was literally, there was so little gas available that they would say that even numbered license plates could do it on, go on this day and odd right. number on this day. And there would be just lines around the block and, and, you know, people yelling at each other and honking and trying to, in addition to fill up their car, they'd bring all these gas cans to fill up and then there'd be <laughs> rules about, I mean, God, I, I remember all that. And I was a little kid. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, maybe we'll get to experience it ourselves. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Everything <laughs> old is new again. So later, once again, Hart tells Lily Tomlin to make coffee and she goes in and she's going, there's a, another woman there and she's going on this whole rant about one of these days is going to push her too far and she doesn't know what she's going to do. Turns out the skinny and sweet has just run out. But she, that's one of the things she had bought at lunch. So she goes to her locker to get it. <laughs> and, but what she doesn't realize is that, you know, we talked about the yellow skinny and sweet box. And it turns out that the rat poison box is also yellow. and <laughs> looks exactly pretty much the same. Although as we see, once she, you know, pours it into the coffee and leaves, we see instead of skinny and sweet, it's called Riddle Rat. <laughs> <laughs> so she delivers the coffee to Hart. And he's mad at someone on the phone. He's yelling. And then he puts it down for a moment to tell her that the next time anyone comes to her about Ajax's warehouse, that she needs to bring it directly to him. Mm -hmm. So Tomlin leaves the office in a huff because she's just annoyed about, you know, once again, having to get his coffee. And Hart grabs the coffee. But before he can drink it, the chair totally collapses backwards and he falls and hits his head. And in the process, he yells for Dolly Parton. She comes in and finds him passed out. <laughs> And he's taken away in an ambulance, and Dolly's riding in the front of the ambulance. Meanwhile, Lily Tomlin's been out of the office, so she comes back in, and Jane Fonda tells her that, you know, she missed everything, that Hart was taken unconscious to the hospital. And so they decide they should go to the hospital and see what's up. And Tomlin goes into the kitchen locker area to get her stuff, and then she comes out in shock, holding the rat poison box. <laughs> so she realizes she must have poisoned Hart. She rushes into his office and Roz is there on her knees cleaning up. And I think the whole position of her was intended to be, again, kind of humiliating. Mm. And Tomlin wants to know, you know, where's the coffee cup? Where's the coffee cup? And, and Roz says, well, it was found empty next to his head. <laughs> so Tomlin freaks out. And she goes and tells Fonda what she's done. <laughs> and they rush to the hospital to tell him to pump his stomach. At the hospital, we see them wheeling Hart into an emergency room. 
And as soon as the doctor starts examining him, he wakes up and he says he just hit his head and he's fine. But the doctor wants to take x-rays and Hart's like, you know, oh, I'm not falling for your, you know, you're going to charge me all sorts of bills. I just hit my head. I'm not doing any of that. He insists on leaving. And then to help him out, a man in cardiac arrest is wheeled into the room and the doctor has to attend to him immediately. So mm. Hart just walks out. And uh, then we see Tomlin driving crazy. And, and a theme in the movie is that she's a really bad driver, <laughs> especially <laughs> well, under stress. I, I, I would say that in some circumstances, she's good. Like she does this perfect 180 degree reverse. Uh, <laughs> but, but then again, other times, not yeah, so Yeah, other times, good. not so much. There's actually a little Easter egg that I only noticed because of watching the behind the scenes materials, which is earlier when she was working on the garage door opener with her son. You look out the window behind her, her mother is there with her other kids and her mother has a neck brace on. Oh. <laughs> and that was Lily Tomlin's idea to try. It doesn't work at all, but the idea was to sort of plant this idea that she's a bad driver and she had somehow yeah. gotten her mother into an accident. But it's like, it does, you don't notice it. You don't notice it. You don't know yeah. it's her mother. You don't notice she's wearing a thing and you wouldn't realize that it's because of her driving. So I think for all the really, really great, clever things in this script, uh, that one didn't quite work. Yeah. But once you know about it, it's cute. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that. true. <laughs> uh, so she screeches into the hospital parking lot. And one of the things I noticed in these is, uh, not all, I'm sure some of the shot, some of the driving, like the one you mentioned, they had to have had a stunt driver, but a lot of this is her. You can see her doing it. And then, uh, we see Hart leaving the ER room and outside the ER room is a detective and a cop hanging around. And it turns out that, you know, they have to keep track of that guy who was in cardiac arrest. He was their only witness. He was about to testify and all of a sudden something happened to him and here he is. And then Hart is gone. Tomlin and Fonda come in and they, they find Dolly and they explain to her what happened. <laughs> and then Tomlin sees the police outside the ER room and the doctor comes out and tells the police that the patient is dead, probably some kind of poison. <laughs> and, uh, Tomlin collapses. <laughs> She's like, I'm a murderer. No, you're not. I'm a murderess. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she says it was an accident, but Dolly points out that just last night she was fantasizing about poisoning him. <laughs> so, I'm no fool. I killed the boss. You think they're not going to fire me for a thing like that? <laughs> and then Jane Fonda and Dolly Parton go off to see what they can do. And meanwhile, a body is wheeled out of the ER room and a secure, before it can be taken further, a security guard calls the medic away. So the body is sitting there in the hallway. <laughs> a big crowd comes in the main entrance. Uh, they're all talking loudly. I think maybe they're supposed to be Italians, which <laughs> could, uh, be a reference to, uh, Hart's earlier Dago remark. Yep. Violet, uh, who is Lily Tomlin, I, my notes tend to use their character <laughs> names. The actual so you've got some vocabulary <laughs> learning here. <laughs> uh, Lily Tomlin uses uh, the distraction with suspenseful music playing in the background to, to grab the gurney uh, that she assumes has Hart on it. Mm -hmm. So she wheels it down the halls and she gets close to an exit door, but... Some, a couple doctors come in through the exit door. So she ducks into a laundry closet and when she comes out, she's got a doctor's uniform <laughs> on. Yeah. And just, you know, a comment here. I mean, up to now, she is the sort of senior manager, responsible, you know, smart, tasteful person. And now she's the <laughs> one who just goes crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So then through that same exit door, a policeman comes in uh, with a hospital worker, and they stand at the exit door talking to each other. So Violet decides to take a different route. She wheels the gurney around and looks for a different exit, and she runs into a candy striper who asks her where the coffee shop is. And uh, Violet's trying to give her the brush off, and she says she's new here, but this candy striper is kind of chatty. But eventually she notices the badge on uh, the white lab coat type thing that uh, that Violet's wearing. And uh, she says, oh, you're a doctor. I didn't see your badge. Sorry. <laughs> so Violet says, I'm a doctor. Kind of surprised. <laughs> and she says, so why the hell am I talking to you? Piss off. <laughs> Which I also love because... This me, this is just this weird little thing where she gets a little bit of power in this moment. And all of a sudden, not unlike heart, she's treating, you know, an underling badly. <laughs> but yeah. one thing that's not surprising once you hear the, in the background stuff is that, um, the candy striper is Florence Henderson's daughter. Oh, no kidding. And if you think <laughs> she had these like bright orange hair, standing on, and it's like, you hear that and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Violet continues pushing her gurney around, and uh, we see Dora Lee and Judy talking. Uh, Dora Lee is Dolly Parton, and Judy <laughs> is Jane Fonda. So they all, uh, Dora Lee and Judy, they both have the same initials as yep. their actresses, so that's handy. <laughs> Dora Lee happens to see Violet go by pushing this gurney. <laughs> she says uh, to Judy, honey, I think Violet is flipped out. <laughs> Violet gets out to her car and loads the body into the trunk. Uh, the other two rush out of the hospital and get in. And this, this is where Violet does that 180-degree right. reverse, you know, backs out of the parking space and whirls the car around right up to the entry door of the hospital. So they all get in. Violet's driving pretty recklessly. They're doing some uh, uh, tight turns and good uh, Grand Theft Auto type stuff. <laughs> And it's all unnecessary. It's not like they, anyone's following them, but you know. yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, dealing with the pressure and all that. Yeah. And, and that too will, will be called back later. <laughs> so they go down an alley and uh, a truck pulls out and Violet swerves to miss it and crashes into a dumpster. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that crash didn't destroy the car, but it did bend, bend the fender. Uh, so the tire is locked into place by the friction. So Dora Lee goes to get the crowbar from the trunk. She's looking around for it, and she uh, she investigates the body a little, and uh, she notices something kind of surprising. She calls calls Judy back to the trunk. It's not surprising to us. We know exactly what, mm -hmm. what was happening all along. She calls Judy back there to have a look, and then they have a quick discussion, and finally they call Violet over. Then, of course, the body isn't Franklin Harn at all. He's already gone home because he wouldn't pay the pay for the scam that the doctor was trying to pull on him. So Judy uh, takes charge. And this is kind of interesting because up to this point, she hasn't been much of a take charge person. Yeah. She says they'll fix the fender and take the body back. Dora Lee and Violet start arguing with each other. And finally, uh, Judy just tells them to shut up. <laughs> and uh, it works. So the plan uh, is to grab a wheelchair when they get back to the hospital and load the body into it and leave it somewhere in the hospital. But on the way back, the motorcycle cop, a motorcycle cop, pulls them over. 
It turns out that their taillight is blinking. He thinks there might be a short in the trunk. Well, they don't want him looking in the trunk. He offers to check it out and see if he can fix it. But Violet, still in her doctor's uniform, this is this is uh, a time-honored gag. You know, they. Uh, she says, this woman's sick, and <laughs> Cap says, which woman? And the, both Dora Lee and Judy say, I am. She is. <laughs> yeah, it's a oldie bit of goodie. And then Dora Lee <laughs> says, I thought it was skinny and sweet. <laughs> so that did, uh, she was able to use their recent knowledge to uh, get out of a jam. Because the cop offers an escort to the hospital, but Violet won't hear any of it. She says, forget it, Mac, we can't wait. She <laughs> blows off. So the next scene uh, skips over some stuff we didn't really need to see. Uh, we see Dora Lee and Judy emerging from the hospital and getting back into the car. <laughs> and then we cut to the restroom in the hospital, a restroom in the hospital where a housekeeper finds a body in the wheelchair, <laughs> and she says to one of her co-workers, we got another stiff in the john. <laughs> Apparently, this is not a completely uncommon occurrence. <laughs> well, you know, one of the stories that I've heard that, like, residents always go through and stuff is that they'll be wheeling a body or having it in the elevator or whatever, and all of a sudden the body will, like, sit up, right? Because there's mm. certain things that under rigor mortis that will happen and so everybody gets their freak out moment <laughs> yeah that would uh, that would be a surprise <laughs> so the next day back at work all three women are shocked when franklin returns mm -hmm. and then violet and judy uh, react especially dramatically i think they drop some papers and so forth <laughs> so then we see them in the restroom they're speculating about what happened and they checked under the stalls, they say, but we get a glimpse of Roz sitting in one of the stalls with her feet up. <laughs> so if she's doing that, it doesn't help much check underneath. What I love about this is that she's taking her notes on the toilet paper, so she's scrolling the toilet paper out while she's sort of scrolling on it. I, I, I'm not, especially toilet paper in an office like that, I don't know how you would write on it without it being torn apart. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, actually, actually some... Some toilet paper, uh, some of the cheap stuff is actually, uh, it probably would hold up to a pen. Yeah, but that's a good also, point. It can be a little uh, more paper-like sometimes, yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, trying to wipe with typing paper or something. <laughs> <laughs> All depends on which kind of cheap toilet paper you have to deal with it. As, as always, this is a podcast that <laughs> investigates all the details. <laughs> <laughs> so Roz and Franklin discuss her notes. He thinks he, he thinks they might have just been putting her on, but uh, she doesn't think so. And Doralee, Violet, and Judy are about to go to Charlie's for a drink, but Franklin calls Doralee into his office. And he tells a big lie here. He yeah. says when they pumped his stomach yesterday, they found traces of strychnine. Of course, they didn't pump his stomach. Yeah. And then Dora Lee is horrified, and she says it was all a big mistake. <laughs> and uh, so, of course, if, if she just kept her mouth shut, maybe uh, she could have gotten away well, with it. And also, this is, you know, number time number 32, I'll say this is why you never talk to the police, because <laughs> you'll say something <laughs> like this. <laughs> Next yeah. thing you know, you're in jail. Yeah. <laughs> So he tells Doralee that if she comes over to his house, he'll forget the whole thing. Mm. And given some things that he's said and done, I, I think he's lying. I think he'd 
take advantage of her and then just go on and have her <laughs> prosecute. Uh, yeah, and and I will say, I mean, if it weren't for that, that he is really not a trustworthy person, uh, honestly, probably not a bad deal. Like, avoid going to prison for, you know, attempted murder, you know. Well, no, yeah. <laughs> well I'll leave that to the, to the listener to decide for themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah, there's different angles you could take on it for sure. But Hart is established, uh, and he's going to establish that he's, uh, yeah, his word of honor doesn't mean a whole lot. So he makes as if he's going to call the police, and Doralee unplugs the cord to the phone. But he notes that there's another phone just across his, the room, across his office. So he goes over to that, but Doralee hogties him with the cord of the second phone, which, of course, is exactly the kind of thing that she did in uh, her fantasy. And then she gags him uh, with, with the nice scarf that he had Violet buy for her. So he's hugged, and gagged. Dorley calls Judy over and tells her that Hart knows. Judy's supposed to watch him while Dorley goes to get Violet. And uh, Judy, mm. being a little naive, yeah. you know, <laughs> Hart complains that he's in pain, and Judy says she'll just loosen the cord a little. And she loosens it enough that Hart can easily <laughs> wriggle free. And uh, he stalks out of the office, and Judy shoots out the window next to his door, which which happened in her fantasy. She realized that Doralee's purse was there, and she knew mm -hmm. that Doralee had the gun, so she pulled that out. She wouldn't have had right. a gun on her own, but uh, yeah. yeah. She fires, uh, fires through the window. Fortunately, this is after work hours, and somehow everybody has left the <laughs> office punctually, uh, which doesn't always happen a lot in real offices. But uh, then again, if you worked for Franklin Hart, you might be yeah, yeah. ready to go home. On oh, God, I remember around. those days. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the three women drive to Hart's home. Uh, the house is far off the road, and they have him tied up in the bedroom. And in the kitchen and in the living room, the three women discuss what to do. They say blackmail could work, but what kind of blackmail? Violet finds something in Franklin's desk. It's an account book for Ajax Warehouse. <laughs> so Doralee and Violet go to investigate. Violet clung, climbs up to look in a window, and the warehouse is completely empty, which is uh, pretty <laughs> suspicious. It's probably up to no good there. So the three women tell them what they've found, which is yeah, probably not a good strategic thing. They, they reveal their whole plan, you know, getting the invoices from the head office. And, uh, you know, if, as you've said, when you reveal the plan ahead of time, the plan <laughs> doesn't work. He says that he'll get loose. So they go to a sporting goods store and a hardware store and uh, what appears to be a western ware store. And they get him... Uh, various things to make an elaborate outfit. Uh, he's got some bondage gear, like leather cuffs around his uh, wrists mm. and ankles. <laughs> and he's got a big, thick metal chain uh, holding the whole thing together. And there's a cable running to the ceiling, and that is attached to a garage door opener, which, uh, as we know, Violet knows how to install. <laughs> he seems to be pretty effectively a captive I think the garage door opener might actually be the weak link and all that if he knew <laughs> if he knew something about the garage door opener, but he doesn't, so uh, he's kind of stuck there for now. At work, the women are covering <laughs> for Hart's absence. 
Meanwhile, he paces around the bedroom. He gets up in a chair to examine the opener, but he doesn't really make any headway with it. Back at work, Roz is starting to get a little pesky. She wants to see Hart, right. and he's nowhere to be found. They, they have this whole routine they'll do where, like, oh, he just left the office. He's walking right down there. You can go get him. And then <laughs> when she goes down the hallway, one of them's at the elevator, and they're like, oh, he just got in the elevator, but then the door closes. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah, they set up a little fake out there. <laughs> So Franklin breaks a leg off a TV tray uh, to make a cudgel or a club. But Dora Lee, while she's in there uh, bringing him his food, she sees him approaching her in the mirror, and she <laughs> presses the button on the remote for the garage door opener, and uh, he, he gets sucked up to the <laughs> ceiling and dangling there. It's uh, pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, and they, they talked about in the background material that, you know, they had to do all this prep work with stunt people to make sure that he wouldn't get hurt because literally he's mm. just sort of flying around the room while he's being sucked <laughs> up to, the, <laughs> to that thing. So, uh, it's yeah. pretty funny. <laughs> so in, uh, in Franklin's office, the women discuss a telex they've received from the head office. The invoices, invoices can be produced, but it'll take four to six weeks, uh, for them to arrive. Yeah. Pretty inefficient system. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. And most, uh, most people don't miss Hart, but they think Roz is going to be a problem. <laughs> so at Franklin's home, Judy has a very good idea. She suggests sending Roz to language school to learn French for some <laughs> made-up business opportunity in the future. <laughs> and the next thing we see is Roz is practicing French on a plane. So <laughs> she's out of their hair for now. So in... Franklin's kitchen, Dora Lee says she'll send Missy some flowers from Hart. Uh, Missy's in Tahiti right now. And then we get a little montage of things that are going on mm -hmm. uh, at work and at, at the Hart house. Dora Lee begins writing memos. People start personalizing their workspaces, which was a big no-no. Mm -hmm. More memos come out. There's one for equal pay for equal work. There's uh, one establishing a daycare center. There's one that uh, establishes flex time options. So they're really making changes. And this, this too, was foreshadowed by uh, Franklin's boss, who earlier told him, you know, I don't care what you do. Just do you, you obviously know what you're doing. And there's also another foreshadow in there, which is that Dora Lee had mentioned, we didn't say this, but she had mentioned to Hart early on that she could write his signature better than he could. Mm, so she's able yeah. to sort of put a signature on all these things. Right. <laughs> so after all these memos, we see, uh, this is still within the montage. We see Franklin uh, watching soap operas. I think it's the days of our lives. <laughs> and then we see that the woman who was fired for talking about salaries, she comes back. Again, something that was foreshadowed was that she was unhappy because she couldn't work part-time. Mm -hmm. But right now we just see her sitting back down at her desk. Then we see a sinister man standing at the big bulletin board where all these new memos are posted. Uh, and he's taking notes. Mm -hmm. Then we see the recently fired and rehired woman. Uh, she stands up to leave for the day, and there's an afternoon employee who comes and sits down at the same desk. Yep. So they've established this uh, part-time desk-sharing desk regime. Then we see painters. They're covering the gray lockers <laughs> with a more cheerful beige, which isn't 
greatly more cheerful, but it's something that's a little brighter anyway. So that's the montage. Dora Lee brings Franklin a meal, and she tells him if he's a good boy, he'll be out soon, and that, that gets him kind of steamed. <laughs> after, after she walks out, he goes into the bathroom, and in the bathroom mirror, he notices there's an open drawer uh, built into the sink. The drawer has been left open. And in the mirror, he can see that there was an overlooked nail file that got wedged up against the front of the drawer. So he pulls that out, and uh, he begins filing away at his leather cuffs. As Doralee pulls out of the driveway, we see that someone is staking out the house. So on the night shift, we have Judy. She makes herself a cup of tea or something and picks a book off the bookshelves, and she sits down to relax in the living room, but... Suddenly, she sees a face at the window and screams. <laughs> Turns out it's her ex-husband, Dick. Right, who we'd last seen in her apartment. And again, it did seem like they had a little bit of chemistry there. It wasn't like they hated mm. each other or anything. Yeah. So we get a quick glimpse of Franklin still filing away at his leather cuffs. <laughs> Dick comes in and he reveals that he broke up with his new girlfriend. Then we cut away to Franklin again. He finished cutting through the cuff. The force of the cuffs finally coming undone makes him lose control of his arm, and he knocks over <laughs> a lamp. So Judy says, oh, it's probably the cat, so she's going to go upstairs to check. Next, uh, Franklin starts filing at the garage door opener cable, but he doesn't have very much time at all to work on it before uh, Judy gets in there, sees what he's up to, and triggers it. Although she doesn't, she doesn't seem to notice that he... Uh, his cuff has been filed through. Right, but he flies up again, fire. yeah. <laughs> so Dick hears the struggle. He goes upstairs to check on what's going on. <laughs> Judy gets Franklin under control and gags him. Dick bursts into the room and sees Franklin dangling from the ceiling. <laughs> and Dick accuses uh, his ex-wife of getting into bondage, S&M, sex memes. Uh, and she says, that's right, all of it. I'm into everything. Now get out. <laughs> and uh, as they go back down the stairs, uh, they argue, and Dick is very disappointed, uh, as if he probably wasn't doing the exact same kind of stuff with this other <laughs> girl he was going out with. And uh, Judy says, and if I want to have an affair or play sex games or do M&Ms, you can't stop me. <laughs> and then she adds, as a matter of fact, I smoke pot. <laughs> And her M&M's line is kind of famous, and she said in the background material that people come up to her all the time and repeat that line. And <laughs> I have to say here, I mean, it's a typical guy thing, right? Like, oh, you know, I got, I, I got hot for my secretary and divorced you and went to her, but then she broke up with me. So now I just want to come back and, you know, everything will be just the same as it was, right? I, I yeah. destroyed your life, but now it'll just all be the same, right? <laughs> so no, I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it didn't, it didn't go quite the way he was envisioning. If it, if it, <laughs> if it hadn't been for that lamp being knocked over, it's entirely possible that, uh, eventually they might've been reconciled, you know, <laughs> she might've fallen for it, but, mm. uh, but Dick was so appalled by what he saw that that, that uh, <laughs> put the kibosh on it all. So he leaves, and Judy seems relieved to see him go. Uh, I don't remember exactly what she says, but uh, something like, get lost, buster. <laughs> Words to that effect, anyway. So back at work in the break room, 
We find out the invoices are scheduled to arrive on Friday, so a lot of time has passed. You know, nearly four to six weeks has passed. But a taxi pulls up to Franklin's house, and it's Missy. She's back from the South Seas. <laughs> she goes in. None of the other ladies are there at the moment. Missy opens the door to the bedroom, and she sees Franklin walk out of the bathroom in his gear. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so that's a, that's an interesting situation. And he's like brushing his teeth, which is kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't actually see what happens mm -hmm. next, but we do see the balconies of a great big tall hotel. Mm -hmm. And Missy is standing on the balcony. Then we see at Dora Lee's place, she picks up her phone. And Missy thanks her, says it must have been her who sent the flowers and Dora Lee tries to deny it, but Missy says, no, Franklin <laughs> told me he didn't send them. Turns out Franklin sent Missy to a hotel for another week while he's trying his new exercise program. Yeah, she will ex She will buy anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, very sweet lady, very naive. <laughs> but she is She is a delightful character. I, uh, I, I should look up what other movies she's been in, because I've seen her in various things I know and I can't. Can't remember, but, uh, but yeah, she's fun. <laughs> so Missy, Missy is amused by the whole idea of this wacky exercise program. Uh, but Dora Lee suddenly hangs up. Then we see Violet pick up her phone and Dora Lee warns her that Missy has been there and Franklin. Yeah, I think she says something like he must've been free for the last three days or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They figure he, he must've, he must've been loose for some time. And Dora Lee says, uh, says to Judy, she talks to Judy next. She says, you keep a hold of my gun. I'm coming over. So I guess they've been keeping the gun in the house where it can do the most good. Now, Violet, meanwhile, rushes over to the Ajax warehouse. She crawls back up to the window. Sure enough, the building is now full of crates. There's about a half mm -hmm. dozen workers in there moving stuff around with forklifts and so forth. Dorley arrives at the house, but Franklin has the gun. So next, Franklin, Dorley, and Judy go to the office. The time clock, he notices, is missing. The ladies say that they got rid of it. He doesn't seem very happy about that. <laughs> we see Violet's car screeching up to the building. Uh, she's driving with her characteristic uh, freewheeling mm -hmm. manner. Franklin leads the ladies, not Violet yet, just Dorley and Judy. He leads them into the main office. And he says, holy shit. <laughs> and the office is now beige, bright orange, and harvest gold with lots of plants. So that, those right. are some classic 70s colors, and this is right at the tail end of the 70s. And so. all sorts of personal stuff on the desks. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, family photos and you name it. Yeah. Franklin notices that there are a lot of people there, and it's not even 9 a.m., the... Turns out that's another change that the ladies established, and he says, well, I'll put a stop to that. He leads them to his office. Violet has gotten into the building, and she stops by the mail room and picks up a big manila envelope. She walks into Franklin's office, where he, he's already there with uh, Dora Lee and mm -hmm. Judy, and she gives the envelope right to him and says he's won, yeah, because he's, he's managed to fill up the warehouse. And he says it, it was pretty expensive to do that, too. She asks what he's going to do now, Violet asks. Franklin says 
She should have a seat. He's just getting ready to send the three bitches to jail. <laughs> his words, not mine. Hmm. We see Hart's boss in his office. He gets an urgent call. And as he leaves his office to attend to the call, the subject matter of the call, <laughs> he passes by the framed picture of the chairman of the board, Tinsworthy, and the camera lingers on it significantly. Then back in Franklin's office, he gets a call. Tinsworthy is here to meet with him. Probably, out of the various coincidences in the movie, probably the most coincidental, you know, the timing <laughs> and all. But, uh, uh, what the heck, it's, uh, it's not meant to be gritty realism. Well, then, I mean, there is a plot reason, right? Like the office has gotten so much more productive and everything that all of a sudden oh, yeah. the chairman wants to see yeah, what's going we on. Do, yeah. We do get it justified very shortly. Yeah. So as Franklin leaves his office, he takes the ladies with him and he uh, says very nervously, Violet, you've got to stand by me. <laughs> <laughs> which, which, of course, she will be delighted to do. <laughs> they exit his office. And Tinsworthy approaches, surrounded by four or five lackeys. He's brought Hart a bottle of champagne. He hands it over, and uh, Tinsworthy mentions how impressed he is that the office has had a 20% rise in productivity over six weeks. <laughs> Tinsworthy praises him for making the office livable and personal. Then he asks about the job-sharing program. And, of course, Franklin has no idea what that is, so he, <laughs> he refers the question to Violet, and he introduces her to Tinsworthy. Mm -hmm. Franklin just goes along agreeing with whatever Tinsworthy says, whatever praise he gives him. He just, you know, he'll say things like, uh, well, we thought it was a good idea, you know, that, <laughs> that type of thing. <laughs> you know, no, no, no compunction about taking credit for it all. Tinsworthy asks about the daycare center, and again, Franklin refers the question to Violet. As they're all walking towards the daycare center, uh, Hart has to be steered in the right direction. <laughs> A woman accosts him, and Franklin doesn't recognize her. She says, Margaret Foster. And he says, the old lush? <laughs> Thanks to his, in quotes, his alcoholic rehab program, she's a new woman. Dora Lee says, doesn't she look great? Franklin says uh, very irritably, he says, hold this. He hands <laughs> her the champagne and stalks off toward the daycare center. <laughs> In the center, Tinsworthy has more praise for the daycare center. He, he even worked on something similar back uh, when he was in the war, he says. <laughs> um, but in an aside to Franklin, he says, that equal pay thing, though, that's got to go. <laughs> so it's not entirely a fairy tale, I think, but, uh, you know, doing pretty well. Uh, Tinsworthy says, I need a man like you, Frank. He says, a new operation's taking off in Brazil, and Franklin is to go there. Yeah, one of the things we didn't mention early on is really early on in the movie, Hart says that Tinsworthy spends all his time in Brazil. So mm. to him, of course, you know, he's, he's bringing this, you know, promising guy to be close to him. So this is a, an honor. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, it's, yeah, from Tinsworthy's point of view, this is a uh, high praise indeed. So Franklin, uh, Tinsworthy heads into the elevator and he wants Franklin to come with him. Franklin's obviously hesitant. He, he conveys that a couple of times, uh, and Tinsworthy's got an answer for him each time. 
As they get into the elevator, a Timsworthy makes it clear, I ain't the kind of boy who takes no for an answer. <laughs> and then the uh, elevator doors close as uh, uh, Franklin mouths the word, Brazil? <laughs> He's not that excited about it. In Hart's office, uh, Judy, Violet, and Dora Lee, they open the bottle of champagne that Tinsworthy brought, and they pour it out into champagne glasses, and they toast. And as they're sipping, Roz walks in. Uh, <laughs> she's wearing a black beret with a French flag tucked in it. She gets one look at the three women standing there drinking champagne, and she says, Holy merda, <laughs> which is French for holy poop. Well, no, it's English is holy and merda is French. You know what I'm saying. Anyway, then the nine to five instrumental comes up. We don't hear lyrics quite yet. And we get uh, summaries, you know, little title cards in the style of the end of Animal House or, you know, dozens of other movies, you know, sort of white text on a black background with pictures <laughs> of the people they're talking about. We find out Violet was promoted to a vice president in recognition of her ability to remain calm in a crisis. Then we see a quick little clip of her wheeling the gurney through the hospital. We find out Judy married the Xerox representative. <laughs> and we get the clip of the copier going haywire. We find out Dorley quit and became a country and western singer. We get a clip of her fantasy where she throws the lasso. And finally we find that uh, Franklin was abducted by Amazons and never heard from again. And we get a clip of him, and I'm I'm not sure if this is from the actual movie. It might be something that wasn't used in the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, but then again, yeah. I might have just forgot about it. No, it's, no, it's a new one, yeah. Okay, he's, he's trying to use the television, watch his soaps, but he means to press a button on the remote, but instead he presses the garage door opener, so he gets lifted <laughs> up once again. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then the vocals come in and we get the credits and yeah. that's the end of the show. <laughs> okay. Back to our discussion with Rebecca. So Rebecca, when you're sleeping through the training films, it's like no time has passed at all. <laughs> wow. We've been magically transported to the other side. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so since you're new to this film, Rebecca, what was your overall reaction? I, right from the get-go, I was really into it because it starts off with this like great opening credit scene of all these people in the city, like kind of walking to work and nine to five is playing. And that song is just so good and so <laughs> catchy and it just like gets in your head. So right away I was into it and, uh, it's just so charming, like those three personalities are so magnetic and then the way that they interact with each other is so great because their characters are quite different from each other, mm. but they have such a good dynamic and yeah, it was just like a really fun watch, mm. like, and, but it's not like, there, it's not like there's no substance. It's not like a, like a mindless fun. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, uh, let me talk about the theme. So. Dolly Parton had not been hired to write the theme. She was on a break during the day while they were filming and she had very long, uh, artificial nails. And she realized when she clicked them together, that it sounded like a typewriter. And she just came up with this song on the fly 
Mm -hmm. then she presented it to them literally using her fingernails. And this became one of her most popular songs ever. And I would, I think it's a big part of the movie's success. Cause I think when you hear that, you want to go and see this movie. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and that, there, this is sort of a side story, but this, this song is probably one of the first, if not the first that made me aware of the phenomenon of when you get used to one way of doing things like this song i saw it performed on some awards ceremony but it was somebody else doing a cover of nine to five and i was just uh i guess i i i, I wouldn't go so far as to say disgusted but I, I really just thought that's not how it goes you know that's not right <laughs> damn it <laughs> and so you really uh once you learn something one way even if it's like i've had it in reverse since then where i'll hear the cover song long before i hear the original song and then it's the cover song that i like so it's right, right. just a weird psychological phenomenon there so guy i assume one of the things you would like is because you like things that kind of move along and you know don't waste time everything in this film turns out to be important right there is no detail that oh, doesn't yeah. become part of the story later. <laughs> oh yeah, you've got a lot of uh, a lot of Chekhov's guns in here <laughs> with totally. the uh, the uh, the chair that keeps breaking and uh, yeah, all that stuff. The yellow <laughs> box of the skinny and sweet. And, you know. <laughs> Lots of stuff like that. So I feel like one of the so first of all, I'm going to propose right up front. I think this is basically a perfect screenplay and a perfect film because. There's just nothing wrong with it. There's no performance mm -hmm. that's bad. There's nothing in the script that is boring or, you know, doesn't fit in. I, I just think it's, you know, just perfect. And uh, so he, one of the things I think is really interesting about how it's structured is we have the first portion where these people don't know each other, really. The, the secretaries, they're meeting each other. Jane Fonda is the experienced person. Dolly Parton is the, well, she's experienced, but every, no one will talk to her because they all think she's sleeping with the boss and she's got her big breasts and everything, right? So they don't want to, they don't want to talk to her. Mm. And then, uh, Jane Fonda is brand new to the office, right? And so we get this kind of exaggerated because Dabney Coleman, who's the, the evil boss is, uh, you know, probably even worse than an actual 1980 you know, boss would be, but we have for a while, a relatively realistic thing about what it's like to be in a secretary in this office. And then these three women get really pissed off at their boss and they all go down to get drunk in the bar. And then they share a, you know. A doobie, <laughs> a, a marijuana cigarette from Willie Tomlin's son. And they have these fantasies about what they'd like to do the, with the boss. An interesting thing here is that those fantasies were based on actual interviews they did with secretaries where they would say, what would you like to do to your boss? <laughs> oh, <laughs> really? That's awesome. But I think, so, yeah. I think these are fantasies are amazing. And I'll talk a bit about more about that, why that is later. But when we ask, like, Rebecca, what's your favorite fantasy? <laughs> <laughs> I loved um Dolly Parton's because I love how so she she becomes like this cowgirl who rides in and ropes him up and <laughs> it's funny because it ties into the character which also ties into Dolly 
So it's like, mm-hmm. it, it's cool how all of the fantasies are kind of consistent with the character. So yeah. it's like something that they would actually think. It's very cute. I love it. Yeah. She's uh, the actual boss. And, and actually I thought this is where Dabney Coleman's acting really came through because we've seen him as the tr- truly asshole boss. And now he's the kind of, you know, <laughs> uh, a demeaned guy who's being sexually harassed. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. shoes on the other foot. Yeah. Yep. Guy, did you, what, what's your thought on the fantasy? Do you have a favorite oh, one? Or? I, uh, I guess I'd have to go with, uh, I'd, each, each one is its own marriage. You know, I love, uh, the Jane Fonda. She has that kind of, uh, almost like a noir femme fatale look when she's dressed as the, you know, the colonial hunter type. But, uh, but my favorite has to be the, uh, uh, the Lily Tomlin, the animated one, you know, with little, <laughs> little birdies chirping oh, around yeah. and everything that's. Yeah. And actually, they, uh, in the Little Shop of Horrors, uh, Frank Oz's musical version, um, the one song, Somewhere That's Green, they sort of, uh, I, I think it might be a homage uh, or somebody involved in that movie saw this movie because it's, you know, the same thing where she has the little birds flying up to perch on her shoulder and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, this is just so, uh, you know, a very light on the surface fairy tale that gets real dark <laughs> like yeah. you got a kick out of it yeah i agree that's my favorite too i like all of them but i love that one it's funny because the very f- that's the very first thing they filmed so lily tomlin had to come in and do that first because they had all the time for the animation so they needed oh, to give sure. as much time for that as possible so it's kind of weird to think of her coming in day one and having to like <laughs> you know interact with these birds and things that aren't there uh, and all that <laughs> And so the, I was saying, I think the re, uh, aside from them just being fun, the reason the fantasies are so important is that we have the kind of realistic portion here, these secretaries, you know, being abused by their boss in the office. Then we have these fantasies. And I think this changes the tone of the film so that now the rest of it, which gets really silly, doesn't feel as, or feels more realistic than it would have if we hadn't had these fantasies. That's true. Yeah. I think that, that these do serve that purpose. And, uh, so then we have the whole thing of, you know, what Lily Tomlin stealing a body, <laughs> you know, stealing the wrong body, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and again, every single thing in there comes into play, right? Because you have two bodies in the same room and you have the cops outside for the other body. And that guy was some criminal who got poisoned and then you know, they overhear all this stuff from the cops and assume that they poison their boss. <laughs> the classic threes company misunderstanding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we do get, like I say, into this really bizarre story that's probably made a little bit more palatable by the fantasies where, where they have their boss, you know, trapped in his bedroom, tied to the garage door opener <laughs> kind of in a whole bdsm outfit <laughs> it's it's neat i thought that every one of the fantasies ends up coming true in some capacity or another you know the accidental or the the deliberate poisoning becomes an accidental poisoning and the you know the hunting ends up uh you know at one point jane Fonda fires off a whole you know all, all six chambers i think and then uh 
And then the hog tying that Dolly Parton does, she does that with a telephone cord. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. each of them uh, come comes to life in one way or another. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I hadn't thought it through for all three of them, but that's a good point. That's a good example of how tight the screenplay is. Like, there's nothing wasted. Like, everything comes back around. Like, every, Ooh, yeah. all of those little things. Right. Yeah, like the garage door opener that they used in the uh, in the mm-hmm. security system for for Franklin Hart, you know, that we saw earlier in the movie that was foreshadowed when she installed her own garage door opener. Yeah. 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 And the story overall, um, yeah, it's just, it's just a good story. It keeps moving. I like, um, it's interesting at the very end has always been one of my favorite parts when he finally comes back to the office and, uh, discovers all the changes that have been made during during <laughs> right. his absence and uh and there is kind of a little uh deus ex machina moment where suddenly suddenly the big uh you know dirt chairman of the board comes for a surprise visit out of right. nowhere that's a that's a, a little bit convenient you know but <laughs> but oh well, even before it. that it was, it was another interesting callback to their fantasies because remember at the end of their fantasies they're all three there in these like medieval dresses and outfits and the people are all Mm. you know cheering them for the work that they've done and then in the actual office you know they implement part-time work and you know they allow people to put personal stuff on their desks and all this and they color it all up so it's you know colorful and not just a boring office and they literally do have people treating them like the kind of heroes that they were in the (laughs) fantasy for having done all this Um, Yeah, and then, it, you know, again, a callback, because we'd heard from the very beginning that the boss, whose name is uh, Tinsworthy. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, the big boss. Yeah, yeah the big <laughs> boss. Yeah, he has an immediate boss. He's a guy I like. Uh, Tinsworthy likes to spend his time in Brazil and runs the company. And, you know, I think Lily Tomlin says she's never met him, like, right from the beginning. So, you know, we've set all this up. And then he suddenly shows up. And this is Sterling Hayden, who you know, was a really, really famous actor. Uh, probably the most famous role he did was Jack D. Ripper in Dr. Strangelove. So if you've ever seen, mm. um, that, uh, and he did a number, he was in the killers also by Kubrick, which is a film that I like a lot. Um, uh, Jack is- D. Ripper was, was, was he the one who, uh, was rambling on about purity of essence? And yeah. And our okay. precious bodily fluids. And- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's funny because he was pretty old by this point and he couldn't remember his lines. So if you watch, you'll see him looking around and the deal is that people were holding up cue cards. So he was looking to cue cards to to read his lines. But, and he also reminded me very much of, um, the Kentucky fried chicken colonel. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's he's dressed kind of like a Kentucky colonel. Yeah. He's got the big, (laughs) uh, big white planters hat. Uh, so, you know, yeah. Um, and so the bad, so our evil boss gets to be sent off to Brazil and <laughs> Lily Tomlin is now running the office and everything is good from here on. Um, mm-hmm. so let's talk about the actors. This is Lily Tomlin's third movie. So she didn't feel like she knew what she was doing yet. Uh, they actually had to talk her into it. She didn't think she was right for the role hmm. for a while. Um, I thought one of the interesting things was the costuming, right? They all had very different things they wore. And she wore this 
very kind of casual intellectual stuff with Chinese characters on it and kind of a, a you know, vest almost. I, I don't know if Rebecca, if you know a better word for that, but yeah, uh, it was almost yeah. like a kimono kind of, yeah, but kimono, worn, yeah, but good point. worn as like a blazer. I actually yeah. thought that was actually really cool. <laughs> yeah. And it definitely made her kind of the most grounded intellectual person. Jane Fonda was wearing these very kind of bright colors and had this big hat on, <laughs> you know, so that was very different. And of course, yeah, you know, she had sort of the 1950s housewife style dresses, I think. Yeah. yeah. And of course, totally. she had, you know, she was someone who had been a housewife who then got divorced. And so this is her first real job. So that fit into all that. And Dolly Parton, it was her first movie ever. Not only that, I mean, she was a popular singer, but this movie kind of brought her into the true public consciousness. Like this is when she became a true star in general, right? That has been true mm. ever since then. And I'll also say Dolly Parton is one of the only people who's famous where I've never heard a single bad thing. Like everybody who works with her mm. thinks she's great. Everybody who knows her thinks mm -hmm. she's great. She yeah, gave a bunch of totally. money to help, you know, develop vaccines. Uh, she, you know, just everything. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think she gives away like hundreds of millions of books every year through her. She has like a children's literacy charity. Yeah. Mm. Just one of those like really awesome people. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And she didn't know how a movie works. So she assumed it was like a play and she memorized everybody's lines in the movie because she assumed they would do it from beginning to end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting with Jane Fonda, as we mentioned, I mean, she produced this whole thing and, you know, she had played Barbarella, but now she's playing the innocent kind of virgin-like uh, character. Uh, one of the things I thought was interesting, especially given Jane Fonda's background where there's some controversial stuff she did and, you know, mm. she was a very, very much an activist, but in this movie, she worked hard with the director to take out anything that might be preachy because she just wanted it to be a funny comedy that would get the point across without making speeches. And I think mm. that's really hard to do. And I think she did a pretty good job at that, right? I mean, the movie clearly has a point of view, but they never really stop and like make a speech where you're like, eh, okay, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. They spare you that anyway. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I wanted to mention, we we had talked about Lily Tomlin and Dolly Parton, and I wanted to mention uh, there's at least one movie from each of them that uh, I haven't seen either of them in a while, but I, I I think they're probably movies that I'd still enjoy on a re-watching. Actually, one of them, all of me, I have seen not too mm. long ago, within the last few years. Yeah, that's a great movie. Um, and that, that's a Lily Tomlin one, and that's uh, that's worth checking out, in my opinion. That's, have, you, have you seen that, Rebecca? No, I don't think so. Uh, mm. So that is Steve Martin and Lily Tomlin, and Lily Tomlin is about to die. She has a disease. <laughs> so she works with a guru who transfer, who's supposed to transfer her consciousness into her assistant. Oh. <laughs> and her assistant is then going to die for her. <laughs> well, she's going to be transferred into a horse. So, yeah, okay. So uh, <laughs> I'm not so sure about how that would actually work. But what happens is the guru accidentally moves her consciousness into Steve Martin's body. So half of it is Steve Martin because he's still there, and half of it is her. And then he is playing both sort of roles as they go along, taking over his body. It's a great movie. Really, really worth watching. Oh, that yeah, sounds really fun. fun. And then another one, or the Dolly Parton one, 
that I have probably haven't seen since sometime in the 80s or 90s uh, was the best little whorehouse in Texas, which is <laughs> God, a I haven't musical. thought about that in decades. Yeah, that was huge <laughs> when we were kids, yeah. Yeah, so it's been a long time, but I remember I used to enjoy it a lot, so it's probably <laughs> worth a rewatch. We'll have to put it on the list, I guess. Uh, uh, I think this is all way beyond Rebecca because she's like a, a young person <laughs> compared to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Then there was Elizabeth Wilson who played Roz. So she was the suck up, you know, spy who would literally <laughs> sit in the toilet and write notes on the toilet paper. I love the writing notes on the toilet paper <laughs> yeah. to get people in trouble. Yeah. Now they yeah. think she said something afterwards to Hart, like, uh, my notes were a little fuzzy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. I love that. <laughs> She was good, and, and, you know, I think she was important. I mean, you know, because she just really had this dedication to the boss and, <laughs> and all that. It was, it, it was an interesting contrast to the other women. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the wife was Marion Mercer, and I uh, I recognize her. I'm not sure what all I recognize her from, but I thought she did a good job. But, Guy, is she mm -hmm. a local hero? Because she was born in Akron, Ohio. Guy lives in Akron's, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's funny. Uh, I, I'm not familiar with the name. I have recognized her at once. I've seen her in other things too, but I mean, I didn't know the name to go with the face, but as far as I know, uh, there aren't, there isn't like a Marion Mercer festival or something like that. Perhaps, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe there should be, uh, cause, uh, she really, I thought she really kind of shone in this role. Uh, she was just, she always this cheerful, positive person and, and possibly the one person on earth who could actually overlook her husband's faults. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, uh, I, I got a kick out of her character, even though she didn't get a lot of screen time. It was just a cute little character. One of the things I like to it here, and I say this a lot is, you know, you could easily see them giving him some like 20 year old wife, you know, some trophy wife. She's not, mm. she's a mature woman and I always enjoy it mm. when we have actual adults in films. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. You don't see that too much anymore. I feel like if they did a remake, they, she would be like the young bimbo. Right. Right. Yeah. Then we have Dabney Coleman and I mean, talk about a tough role, right? I mean, he has to be the complete asshole, but also. You have to like something about him. I mean, if he was just a complete jerk, <laughs> then it would be much less enjoyable to watch the film. And I, I'm not quite sure how he accomplished that. Yeah, it's, uh, well, you know, the first time you see him, he's giving this lecture on teamwork and all that. And it's kind of a trite lecture, but, uh, at least, you know, at least initially you think, well, maybe this is just, you know, maybe this is really what he believes almost like, uh. Uh, I don't know if you saw the TV comedy, The Office. Uh, there was a character named Michael Scott, who was uh, basically a well-intentioned guy, but just horribly, continually shooting himself in the foot. And, and I, you know, when you first see him, it would be easy to think that that's who this guy is going to be. But uh, no, he's, he's a lot more of a deliberate jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's more evil than Michael Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, yeah, but and, you know, as I said, I thought it was really interesting though, the fact that he also played the sexually harassed employee. So you got to see him doing kind of both roles. Oh yeah. Yeah. He did, uh, he, he did have that little, uh, awkward meek, uh, 
<laughs> response uh, when he was in the hot seat. <laughs> he, he did pretty well with that. It may be worth mentioning, and, and I, I should have taken a moment to look this up, but I, I didn't think to. Um, he had a TV series called Buffalo Bill, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think the premise of that was more or less just Franklin Hart under a different name, though I could be <laughs> wrong, but I, I seem to remember that he was basically taking this role and making it into a TV series. Yeah, there was a period a few decades ago, probably around the time of this movie, where they were really working to make him a star. So he was also in a TV show called Slap Maxwell, if you remember that one. Um, where the concept of it was every episode he gets slapped by a woman at some point. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a fun show. (laughs) I think he never kind of broke through as the kind of star they were hoping for. This movie Mm -hmm. was probably his, you know, most significant work, Mm -hmm. uh, but he did do some other fun things. And yeah, I enjoyed Buffalo Bill and and all that. (laughs) So the question we always ask Rebecca is, uh, is this worth watching for a modern audience? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think the personalities are so iconic that like, like, I know who all these people are and I've seen bits of their work, but to see them all work together is really special. Like, you don't really get that kind of performance as a group all that often. Mm -hmm. And also it's... It's actually kind of depressing how relevant all of the issues <laughs> still are. Like, they, it was definitely, um, call it a feminist movie, probably. But mm. uh, most of the issues that they were kind of tackling in a subtle way were labor issues. And mm-hmm. ones that are still, like, at the very end when, you know, the big boss comes down and they kind of show everything they've done, which they didn't really talk about as they were doing them. This is kind of the mm-hmm. reveal of their work. Mm-hmm. And um, it's all stuff that like people are still kind of wanting and that offices are still pushing against today. Like the job sharing and the part-time work and the flexible hours. Like these are still conversations that are ongoing. So mm-hmm. it was it, it makes the movie more relevant, but in a way it's a little bit like depressing that we're still kind of having the same problems. But yeah, mm-hmm. it, definitely worth watching. What do you think, guys? Yeah, it it is. Uh, I've, I've like I said, I've liked this movie all my life. Although uh, I found in my most recent watching, there's a lot of funny stuff in it, but there's not as much funny stuff as I remembered there hmm. being. You know, it's like I mean, it's still. I'm not. I'm not knocking it or saying well, it's. Does that you mean know, you take funny. it more just, seriously now, or you don't? I mean, because I mean, there's a lot of well, jokes, I right? Think, so, there are, there are a lot of jokes. I think um, I think maybe it's just there aren't as many jokes that. Well, I think it's probably two things. One, I think there aren't as many jokes that really just stick me. You know, they're really mm. just like are you know top drawer in my personal book. But then also, uh, I think some of it is that I've I have probably seen this movie over the years, uh, probably at least five or six times. I'd guess. Uh, though, yeah, this most recent watching was uh, the first in a while. But I think a lot of the stuff that originally made me like the movie so much, uh, a lot of it now isn't quite as much of a surprise as it was. Mm. So it's it's kind of the, uh, you know, familiarity breeds contempt, kind of, which yeah, <laughs> is a strong way of putting it. I don't feel contempt for the movie. It's a terrific movie, but right. um, it, it's just, you know, I I, uh, I would still say very much it's worth watching. Yeah, it was it was 
worth rewatching. <laughs> so for myself, I have a weird history here because my first job was as a clerk in a hospital. So I was pretty much doing what these secretaries are doing. And I became a union organizer in response. Eventually over the years, I was the guy running the office. I was Dabney Coleman, hopefully <laughs> not quite as bad as him, <laughs> but there were people who worked for me who, and, and I'll be honest, who, especially women who I was actively trying to help, but who believed that I was trying to set their career back. And so I've been through the whole experience, but, but I, uh, I mentioned earlier, I really just think it's a perfect movie. There's not a single bad performance, not a single bad actor. Everything that's brought up in the movie comes into play. The jokes are funny. Even now it's not like guy and I, sometimes we watch like these 50, 60 year old comedies and it's like, they're like, oh, Hey, here's a joke. And you're like, uh, <laughs> I guess that's a joke. <laughs> yeah. <And> this is. <laughs> This is just funny. You don't have to think, oh, that's a joke. I'm supposed to laugh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? I think uh, visually it's a pretty neat film to watch, even though it's largely an office environment. So that's, that can be challenging to make that, you know, something that's watchable for hours. But then they do mix it up with the scenes at their homes and at the hospital and different things here. But a lot of it is in the office, but I, I think they still managed to do a real good job of keeping it, uh, keeping it visually interesting. Uh, uh, it's, it's something that doesn't jump out at you, but then, uh, if it's done well, it's something that probably shouldn't just jump out at you. You should just be carried along by it. Yeah. I think a big part of that was kind of the, the wardrobe for the three mm. leads specifically, like they were mm, right quite colorful like in the last scene lily tollins wearing like bright orange and it kind of works with the new colors they've incorporated into the office but that's a good point they did it's funny that in that last scene when it kind of does like the wide the pan of the office to show like how they've improved it my boyfriend and i are laughing because like it's quite dated to our eyes now so it still kind of looks like a crappy office <laughs> it just like shows they've got like some orange and like everything's still very gray. They've still got the fluorescent well, you know, lighting. People get to have photos on their desk. <laughs> yeah. We were like, okay, like, I guess that's an improvement, but. <laughs> yeah. One, one thing uh, that I noticed in the last scene that I don't remember ever noticing before is that when they're, when they're lined up uh, left to right on the screen, their outfits are red, white, and blue. Um, so maybe there's some kind of, uh, you know, tying, tying them into like the all American girls or something like that. I don't know. But then of course, Roz comes in waving her little French flag, which is also red, white, and blue. So and a lot of ambiguity there. <laughs> okay. So, well, thank you very much, Rebecca. Uh, where yeah, can people you. find you on the internet? Yeah, it's, uh, I'm mostly on Twitter too much on twitter <laughs> um it's <laughs> yeah i think about 500 at... times a day <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's my place of residence basically i'm at rebecca right now or just my name rebecca christensen okay and you're okay. on wattpad as well right yes same handle on can you wattpad spell as that well. yeah spell that for people who might want to check it out yeah my name 
No, Wattpad. Or, oh, <laughs> W-A-T-T-P-A-D. Just okay. like it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bed and I stumble to the kitchen pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping out on the streets the traffic starts jumping with folks like me on the job from nine to five working nine to five what a way to make a living getting by one of multiple stories for me about my office working days um <laughs> there was a guy i worked pretty closely with and got to be friends with my first job i was um doing uh hospital billing i worked in a hospital you know uh, sending bills to people and um his girlfriend worked there you know i think they had met each other in the office and she got fired by the boss who was you know about as um high quality as his heart <laughs> uh, uh she is, goes back to her desk and she starts throwing papers and folders everywhere because she's really upset. And then, you know, her boyfriend finds out she got fired and he goes and starts yelling at the manager. Manager goes into his office and this guy, uh, kicks a, a hole in the door ah. <laughs> while threatening him. Um, and, uh, you know, police ended up showing up and everything. So, so it just, it, this thing of her packing up her desk and everything just kind of reminded me of that. And, oh, sure. You know, how intense these, you know, workplace situations can become. Oh, yeah. Here's a, another my work story, same office. As the guy who kicked in the door, the boss and everything, um, my boss who hired me. So, you know, I had, I'd had like paper delivery jobs and stuff, right. You know, before, mm. but, uh, um, this is my first real job, you know, left my family, moved to another state. Um, and, um, I, as I said, we did hospital billing and. I was a clerk who, one of the things that I would do is distribute the daily reports. In fact, I think these are probably the kind of reports you generate in your job, right? So, <laughs> um, but you know, they would have all this financial information about which bays, which bills were paid and which bills were overdue and how long they'd been overdue and all that kind of thing. And there were different reports that would go to different people. Mm -hmm. And my boss, um, there's a certain report he told me to always bring to him, which is this why it reminds me when she, he says anything about mm. Ajax Warehouse, bring it to me. So I would give him that report. It wasn't meaningful to me. One day, well, he happened to be out. And this woman and her kids come in. She needs to pay her bill. So I look in the system and her, her account has been closed out. And I tell her, I can't accept your payment because there's nothing here, right? I mean, it's all been closed. Mm. And she's like, no, every month I bring this in and, and I, I give it to, you know, my boss. And I'm just like, well, I can't, I can't take it because there's nowhere to put it, right? <laughs> there's literally yeah. no, nothing open to put it into. And well, a day or two later, 
a VP in the office comes to me and says, this particular report, I want you to deliver it to me today. (laughs) And so I do. And my boss comes over later and he's like, where's that report? And I said, well, I gave it to Barbara. She told me to give it to her. And he said to me, that bitch. (laughs) <laughs> like what? You know, it was literally just out of nowhere. Right. Mm. Um, so it turns out, cause I think I had, oh, that's right. The detail I forgot is that I had gone to her cause she was in the office and he wasn't and said, I don't know what's going on. This woman came in and I couldn't accept her payment and mm. that sort of kicked all this off. So long story short, <laughs> I got accidentally got my boss caught for embezzling. Because what he was doing is he was using his authority, um, to close out these accounts to basically say, oh, you know, they're not going to pay and we lost the money. Mm. And then he was having them pay him directly. Uh Um, so we had this whole office meeting and we were told, you know, this guy's been terminated (laughs) as some people have said, oh, I didn't think you needed to go that far. You could have just fired him. But anyway, anyway, that was an early experience of mine, getting my first boss fired. (laughs) I'll put that at the end because it got long. (laughs) 